Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 46, Joanne Bro. Uh, Joanne is a friend of mine and somebody I met many years ago when I was uh, doing publicity for a record label, and at that time she had a uh, webzine website. There's a webzine in it and a internet radio show um, called Anti-Mag, and she has just relaunched it. Or is no wait a minute. She's about to relaunch. It hasn't yet, but has been working on it. But has decided to get back into that and follow the passion or whatever. And she came over the other day to talk about that, and for us to also talk about being the age we are and having the perspective we do on pop culture and for, you know all of the various iterations of um, the expression of youth fashion and. Um, style and all of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, it's always a really interesting topic of conversation for people who used to be um, really engaged in that, uh, who've gotten to be about 40 and are watching people in their 20s be really engaged in it, and uh, I'm uh, attempting to see it not from the viewpoint of, like, these kids these days, but, like, what is what do I have in common with that, and what is different and I was listening to, uh, actually I was listening to Mark Marin and Lewis Black talk about, um, you know, they referred to it as the hipster thing, and hipster is about as, about as good a moniker as grunge was, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And it's a particular manifestation of a, of a youth culture style, people in their 20s, and seems to feature have a lot of uh, aspects to it, you know, there are beards and there are certain kinds of tattoos and... Uh, it's a look and it's an attitude and one of the things they said though is that you know it, it appears in some respects to be similar to the 60s hippie kind of movement not so much in look but the uh, sort of the agrarian aspect of it uh, the sort of DIY being applied to diet and food and um, you know local farming sourcing things like that uh, but what Lewis Black pointed out is that it is so much more smug and pretentious than the uh, hippie version of it. It's um, it's like artisan, it's heirloom, it's uh, all of this kind of um, pretentious and snobby stuff. And, um, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm into the stuff that people... I, I love being turned on to new things, but I hate being turned on to new things by people who are bringing it to me like with this sort of deadpan, stone-faced smug look on their, on their mug that's like... Yeah, that's right. This is this is really cool, and we didn't know about it until I showed it to you. And obviously, been out of touch and asleep, and whatever. And I mean, it's not like that offends me, but it's it's just I, you know, it's I got no time for it. And uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Now that I now that I uh, finished that sentence, I realize I'm just being. I am doing exactly what I said I was going to be grumpy about something. So whatever, everybody do whatever the fuck they want to do, and uh, be smug about your uh, locally sourced uh, meats and um, produce and all of that kind of shit, and I'm not going to buy it. Um, speaking of produce, I just spent the afternoon in my backyard, uh, like, and, and it's a shitty fucking backyard, it's just like this ghetto lot behind my house that uh, there's a whole bunch of busted up fence panels in it and it's basically dirt and at the back of the yard where the sun gets to there's like clover and like other kinds of weed grass growing 
But I raked it up anyway, and I took all this like busted wood that's been laying around, and I put it together in the form of a box to fill with soil and and grow some shit back there. And I swear to God, this is the first time in my life I've ever done that kind of work, yard work, where either my parents weren't forcing me to do it or I wasn't getting paid to do it. I actually went out of my own backyard and spent a Saturday afternoon cleaning it up and making it look nice. Oh, I even laid down little paver stones and a little path. Because the fucking, that, that backyard is like, like dead wood. You know how they like, they had to walk across the street, it wasn't paved or anything, and they just had planks going through the mud. That's fucking my backyard. I can't even take the trash out without like, you know, waders on it or something. But, um, yeah, so I'm growing up, I guess. And, uh, so being a grown up, I, I'm constantly struggling to process what the kids are doing and the kids don't give a fuck what I think about what they're doing so I don't even know why I waste my breath on it but Joanne and I enjoyed talking about it and you know there are some relevant things and I think you know I spent actually I went to the village today to have uh, breakfast with my buddy John Goldberg and Charles Ajimian and well Charles kind of dropped in on us um, while we were doing it and you know a thing that's occurred to me is that although Gray Street physically doesn't resemble the Gray Street of my college it years um the village though it moved across the street still has that feel and as we sat in that booth and talked about richmond and talked about ideas i realized you know you can still have whatever the fuck that spirit was that you had that you feel like is so quintessentially this certain part of richmond and gray street anywhere you want to have it even with vcu's new buildings and all of vcu's shit around there you can still sit there in the middle of the night that jank and do it and uh it's uh, it's up to you so uh stop hating and just do your thing. All right. Let's get on into Joanne. I did. You did. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> there it we go. It was when I moved it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that switch is in a bad spot. It's a Radio Shack microphone. Amazing. Yeah. Radio Shack still exists. It does. Not for long. I know. <laughs> well, they did those um, ad campaigns yeah. recently. Um. So it was really funny because I'm like, well, obviously they're catering to our generation, but I don't shop at Radio Shack. The 80s called and they want their store back. Yeah. I'm I, like, no. I go there for stuff like just because it's easier to get in and out of than. Uh, yeah. Than Best Buy. Right. So you're like, I know exactly what I need. Like if I if I go there, if I like need an adapter, or like something really small. Right. Wire. Right. Because all those big box retailers, I feel like. I am going into the Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of obstacles I'm going to have to go through to mm-hmm. get out of there. And you have to go deep, far back. You know, yeah, it's, it's already it's so f- funny. <laughs> Every time I go to Best Buy, I have to go way somewhere. Like it's not right there. Right. I have to go all through the store to get to what. Right, I need. that's bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> that's what's good about Radio Shack is you can park very close to the building. Usually, you can run in there, get your shit, and get out of there. Like Best Buy Guitar Center, first of all, you've got to walk about a hundred yards from the parking lot through the door, exactly, and then you got to walk all the fuck around in there, and and then you've got to talk to all the salespeople, right? And the thing with the Guitar Center and all those places is then then you have to haggle because that they've seriously inflated it, so you have to then talk like you know what you're doing in order to get the real price, and I don't have the energy for all that. No, I don't have time to talk to salespeople. I'm like, I know what I need. Yeah, move out of the way. 
a good salesperson doesn't stop you from getting what you need. They suggest other things that you may right may want. Oh, yeah, I see exactly. you're getting. Oh, quack, quack. well, you know what would be really good yeah. with that is this. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. you end up spending thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that doesn't happen to me at Radio Shack. I, this, somebody tried to sell me a microphone in there yesterday, and it was like he would not let me leave, but I couldn't. I was just there to exchange something. That's the, the hard. Part. I can't deal with it. You know, because you want to be nice because they're just doing their job. Right. But at the same time, it's like, oh, my God, I know what I need. Stop, I just no want to come in and go out and really, be done dude, with it. Like, no. Yeah. I'm Tell good. Me. I'm just browsing. I can't bring myself to be that mean now. The only time that ever used to happen to me was in high school mm-hmm. because people would say, like the sales people would be like, can I help you? And you're like, no, I'm just browsing. And then you'd have like five other salespeople ask you the mm-hmm. same question. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, they think I'm going to shoplift. Yeah. Like yeah. it happened to me in Victoria's Secret one time, which was hilarious because the woman was like, ma'am, do you do you know your size? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I know my size. Because you're in the wrong section. Yeah, like, you, nothing over here is going to fit you. <laughs> I was just kind of like, um, I'm not going to steal your $30 bras. It's okay. <laughs> so you um you have relaunched the uh have you relaunched Lady I'm about to. What do we call it? Lady J, Lady No, D- it's Auntie Mag. Just Auntie Mag. But I go by Lady J just because it's okay. it's kind of a nickname that was given to me. And so it just started to kind of uh latch on. So anytime I do any kind of event or anything, I just because I was heavily involved with the burlesque reviews and that sort oh, of yeah. stuff and hosting and you kind of need a stage name. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to call my myself Lady J because a lot of people would call me that. And so that's where that came from. So Lady J for Joanne. That's right. And when you were doing it before, how long has it been now since you were doing that? The magazine? Yeah. Was um, it a, ma- I mean like a print magazine? It wasn't yeah. a print magazine. Um, because print is very expensive. Right. <laughs> so I wanted to start something that was online because most of, I mean, everyone's online all the time. Right. So it was like, it's kind of pointless for me to invest. I just wanted to do it as a hobby, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of, it started in 2005. I'd moved to New York and I, um, the first week I was there, uh, my then husband had $3,000 worth of equipment, drum equipment stolen from the trunk of the car. Oh, shit. And then three days later, um, the job that I had lined up when I moved there, uh, I went in to go talk to the person and they said, well, we're really sorry. We thought we had the budget for this. So we didn't, um, we don't actually have the budget for this position. So that fell through. And then three days after that, I went out to the car and the car was gone. Oh, man. So here I was. What part of town were you living in? Um, well, I was living in Ridgewood, New York, which is right near Williamsburg and uh-huh. Bushwick and all that stuff. So I think what happened was people saw the out-of-state plates and right. then saw us move in. And so they thought, well, this is a great opportunity. Right. So all of that happened within the first few weeks of living in New York, which, of course, got to a point where you're just sick of hearing, hey, welcome to New York. You got your car stolen. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, like, ha ha, funny, funny. (laughs) 
But um, it just became it became humorous to me because I was like, yeah, all right, I've experienced the full New York experience in like a week. You've been <laughs> stripped of all of this stuff that you brought with you, and now you yeah. may start fresh as a New Yorker. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was going to do about a job, and so I started looking to do contract work and that sort of thing, and so. Um, I called my mom up and was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is crazy. Like, did I make a mistake by moving here? But I was determined, you know, I was like, no, I'm going to make it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom said the funniest thing. She was like, I always thought you were going to be a writer. And I never thought about it before. Like, you know, I would write here and there, but never really focused on that portion of what I did, you Mm -hmm. know, and my mom just kind of woke me up, which was weird because she never had anything to say about my career choices except for the, oh, you've made the wrong career choice again. (laughs) (laughs) No suggestions, only criticism. Yeah, exactly. And so it started from there. And um, I started hanging out at this place in Williamsburg, this little bar called the Surf Bar. And I started meeting people that would come in there and they were all just doing really interesting stuff, you know? And I was like, cool, where where can I find your stuff? You know, like, oh, you do photography. Where's your studio, you know? You think in New York, everyone has this. Right. And it turned out that all these people were just really, they, they were very passionate about what they did, but they didn't have anybody to represent them, mm-hmm. you know? And, and they didn't have a way to get their medium out there. Right. And so I decided that's what I would base my magazine on, was just meeting people on the street and then, you know, featuring what they did. And then that kind of grew from there because it started off being... So it wasn't just music. No, it was oh. it was art and fashion and music and design and people that were coming up with really cool concepts for startup companies and, you know, just anybody who was doing something really interesting or that mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. And so it just kind of moved from there and um, started off being a New York thing and then ended up being an international thing. Wow. Because I started utilizing social media to reach out to people in other countries and and uh, what time period is this it was between 2005 and 2008 i guess yeah Mm -hmm. um and then i kept that going until i moved back here so so you were doing it until you moved back from new york when and when was that that was 2009 or 10 yeah were you were you were actually able to like kind of make a um a living at it? No, not really. <laughs> no. So you still did have to find a job. I right? did, you yeah. know, and I did contract work and stuff. But I mean, I would like, I would work a nine to five job and I would come home and I would write until three o'clock in the morning. Wow. And because I was contracting doing web stuff, it was easy to work from home. So I would, you know, do my work at home and then I would write right. for hours and hours and hours. And I would like do research and all this stuff. So it was really easy to do. And I was incredibly motivated and inspired and, you know, all these different things. So it was very easy. I mm-hmm. was never tired. Of you were it, doing so. you were doing what you wanted. Yeah, do exactly. Yeah. Which was the first. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've done some writing, but I, I don't I've never been able to sit down and write for hours and hours on end. I find it really tedious. Like that's why I'm doing this is because I just like to run my mouth, and then it's just like it is what it is. I do too. Yeah, <laughs> it is very hard to focus a long period of time on writing. Um, I feel like 
most of my writing's done in very traumatic times Mm -hmm. or like when I'm very melancholy or whatnot. I feel most motivated to write then. But that's when I write like, you know, my journals or my memoir-esque kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. But as far as the magazine's concerned, um, because it's an interview answer sort of format. Oh, is it? Is it... Was it all interviews? Or yeah. You, yeah. I mean, that's basically what it was. Um, you know, I'd write little pieces here and there. If I went to a restaurant and had an experience in a restaurant or, um, you know, I'm, I've had an unusual day or something I would rant about or whatever. But that's basically all, you know. And then it's only been recently that I've been writing poetry and like short prose and, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I wanted to interject this back when you were talking about the car thing that mm-hmm. I had thought that that was something that happened to people because we, I didn't end up keeping a, a car there, but I brought one there a couple of times. Like when I moved, well, before I moved there, we went to visit a bunch mm-hmm. and I ended up moving into the apartment that I was always visiting. Right. And one time we came up and brought this Volvo sedan and we parked it on the street and it seemed like we noticed that one of the lookouts for the drug business that was on that street mm-hmm. on seventh street there was sitting on it <laughs> like he was trying to hatch an egg or something. Right. And he just sat on the car the whole time it was there or somebody was sitting on it wow. like the whole time. <laughs> and we're like, I guess that's okay. It's not, you know, he's fucking with it, I guess. Yeah. Just in there. And then we got, um, we got on the highway and we were coming home and one of the wheels just started making all this noise and we pulled over and the lug had bored out an ellipse in the hole of the wheel hub because somebody had gotten ready to steal the wheel, I guess, and like right. had loosened the lug nuts enough right. to steal it. But then I guess one of those guys stopped them because they were like, we run this block. That dude is in. So your car was like protected. It was protected. <laughs> it wasn't initially because somebody tried to do that out of town shit to it. Right. But then somebody came along and said, no, that that's that guy is or whoever owns that car is visiting one of our buildings. And right. Things, you have to like don't back fuck off. With that. Yeah. Nice. So then he was he was guarding it. Somebody was guarding it the whole time. That's somebody nice. Else with it. Except, yeah, we did almost we had to replace that wheel. Yeah, at the t- <laughs> that's could have been worse. I know it could have been a lot worse. Like at the time, apparently, what happened to my car had been happening all over. Mm-hmm. So they would steal the car and then they would gut the car and then they would put it on fire. That's like that like old school eighties shit. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. why do they burn it? I, guess I don't know. I guess to like get rid of evidence. Yeah. I don't know. Like. My car was the number one car at that time that was stolen, that could be stolen. And um, it was really funny because the cops called. And I love New York for this because we were, you know, you file the police report and you're like, my car was stolen. And you're talking to a New York cop and he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, all right. Uh, we'll see what we can do about that. You know? <laughs> and um, you expect us to find your car and you can't find it. And you know what it looks like. Exactly. <laughs> And they were really it's nice about it, but like, you know, they were just kind of like, honey, you just moved here. What do you think? You know? And, um, so anyway, uh, when they found it, they called us and they said, you know, we found your car. It was in Red Hook running, but there's nothing in it, which like was nothing? the oddest thing. Nothing in it. So they had it put, they had it, uh, brought to, um, some pound or something. And, uh, I went to, you know, they kept calling us and they were like, you need to come get your car. And I'm like, 
It has no steering wheel. Like, oh, like nothing. Like was in nothing it. was in. It, it was running, but it didn't have a steering wheel. It was it. like really Jesus. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I ended up getting in a fight with like the lady who was running the place. I'm like, my insurance is taking care of this. Yada yada yada. You know, and and she was just like, I don't care. You got to come get your car. And I was <laughs> just like, let me tell you something, sister. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it was it, it was just like, yeah, <laughs> it was bad. That's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I, you know, I'm glad I had that. Insight. I mean, my, my, I didn't own a car then anyway. Any car yeah. I was driving was my dad's, but like yeah. I brought a, like another Volvo up there to mm-hmm. move and just had somebody take it back. Cause I didn't want like my feeling when I lived there, I didn't want to carry anything. Right. I didn't want to be responsible for anything. Right. I wanted like the minimal amount of shit in my room, in my apartment in case. Right. I mean, I ended up living in the same place the whole time I was there, but mm-hmm. I had this feeling like I needed to be able to travel light, like I needed no responsibilities. I needed nothing to worry about. You don't need a car in New York. Car. Right, you don't. So, I mean, it was my intention to sell my car after I'd moved. It just got stolen before I could do that. <laughs> Have you heard this? Somebody brought this up the other day, the Yogi Berra thing. Nobody drives around here. There's too much traffic. And it was like, somebody's <laughs> fucking driving. And it's, <laughs> it's not just cabs. It's, you know, uh, but there's still shitheads that drive their fucking cars into yeah. the city and, and keep them in the city. And it's so expensive. I don't understand why you would. You really don't need it. Lucy, actually, my sister's got one now. She bought she? a car in Manhattan. It's a Fiat. It's one of those little oh, the tiny ones. Yeah, you could, she could probably park it in her mailbox. <laughs> well, that's the car to have if yeah. you're gonna, you know, be there and have a car. It still would just like I felt something about living in that city made me feel too vulnerable. To have an extension of myself that sat on the street all night. Yeah, I, like, I totally you know what understand. I, mean? I totally get that. Even my bike, mm-hmm. like, like, and I had shitty ten speeds that I bought at flea markets and shit right. up there. I didn't feel comfortable leaving it on the street. Right. I had to bring it up in the house. You just can't, you know. There's, there's yeah. too much, too much energy or too much stuff happening. Yeah, you're out there. just kind of like you can't put this out here and be like, hey. <laughs> Somebody is gonna fuck with it just because you to like, come get this. No, you lived in. Did you live in Brooklyn or did no, you? No, I lived in. I lived in Manhattan. Oh, you yeah. lived in the city. Okay, so that's a little alphabet bit. city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. East oh, Village. yeah, definitely. It was actually very, very chill around there. I mean, those guys, the drug dealers, made sure of that. They didn't want any other crime going on except right. the drug dealing. Right. So they they really re- like kept it nice. That's the way it works there. Yeah. So. <laughs> It was a very, very relaxed neighborhood by the time I got there. It hadn't become what it is now. It was still like, you know, like if you were afraid to be around that sort of thing, you weren't going to live there. Yeah. So it was a certain kind of person living there, but it was very, very relaxed. It was kind of the last gasp of that sort of bohemian downtown village kind of thing before everybody started crossing the Yeah, it's funny because when I first started going to New York, the time period... after that and and actually moving to new york like it was such a different environment just in that short period of time yeah i was like oh my god you know i mean i never felt unsafe i always felt like i was protected by my neighborhood like it's you know it's definitely a groove that happens there in general people have better things to do than fuck with people yeah they're just like i've got stuff to do i don't have time to deal with you Mm -hmm. or whatever's going on you know but i felt like where i lived everybody was very uh communal and like Mm -hmm. helped out and you know you knew who your neighbors were and i didn't feel afraid i'd come home at three o'clock in the morning walking down the street 
which is hilarious because when I moved back to Richmond, I was I didn't have a car. And so I was walking everywhere. And then you were unsafe. And then I realized <laughs> that I had moved back to Richmond, Virginia and wasn't living in New York. I couldn't walk around the street like yeah. that. You know, like people would stare at me or like it just didn't feel safe. Yeah. You know? So there are not enough people on the street no. for you to be safe. There's not. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's still not. I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, it's. It's still like, I mean, I don't, I guess I'm a big dude, so nobody really gives me a hard time. Yeah. But like more, when I was a kid, they did. When I was a teenager, they, I couldn't walk around this neighborhood or ride a bus or something that getting right. hassled. But Morgan rides a bus quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And once you've gotten to Broad Street down there in front of the loan shops or the pawn shops, yeah. you got to deal with the fucking hassle the entire time. Absolutely. Like, I, I don't know why anybody doesn't break that up. Like, just come along and say, you know, you, you just can't act like that around here and all of the these businesses along there they just sort of tolerate their people use their businesses the bus shelter they're fucking like that broadway deli place everybody's yeah. standing in the fucking foyer of the joint and- i find that area really interesting because you know there's a, there's a little bit of progression that's happening there you know and i was just over there last night i mean besides being first friday first friday everybody's out there you know and mm-hmm. then other than that like the, the downtown is dead yeah except for those times right. where it's just like you feel like everybody's waiting for the bus you mm-hmm. know it's like that's the only thing going on down there's a bunch yeah. of people waiting for the bus for long periods of time because exactly. the bus system sucks exactly. and there isn't like a there really isn't like a hub yeah. But a lot of them go along that one spot of Broad Street. Exactly. So. And uh, you might have the gospel, you know. Read to you. Pray mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. and, you know. Uh. <laughs> I've walked the gauntlet a few times trying to visit those places for my job. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm in this spot now between being the guy that lived in the East Village before it got... Uh, I don't like this word, but, you know, gentrified. Yeah. Again. And I, I don't think that's a good word because it covers too much shit. It really does. What 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 I would say, I mean, you have to use a lot more than one word, but it like Giuliani enforced the law and made it really safe and improved the quality of life, got the homeless people off the street and got the drug dealers gone. Yeah. And then people came in and built brand new buildings and renovated the ones that were there. And then and people who could afford those places felt safe enough to live there. So they right. did. And it, you know, it wiped out the character of the neighborhood. It also got too expensive. Yeah. But I don't, like, if I was a person that owned one of those buildings, I would be very happy that that happened. And why shouldn't I experience an appreciation in the value of my property just so a bunch of bohemians can have their culture continue to exist? I, I agree with that to an extent, you know. And it's funny because... When I was living in New York and my neighborhood was half of it was Polish and the other half was um, Ukrainian. (laughs) No, (laughs) was either Italian or Dominican or Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that's the way it went. Fortunately for me, um, I'm Latin. So like I never encountered any issues like I'd go into the bodegas. They would just automatically speak Spanish to me and whatever. And of course, I was married to a white guy. Mm -hmm. So he would come home from wherever he was. And he's like, 
man, I fucking took the the car here, and it was like twice as expensive as when we go together. I don't understand. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I was like, you need to learn Spanish, and maybe that'll help. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. And so, you know, I would encounter all those cultural things that would happen in the neighborhood, and like, you know, I would... um. One night we were coming home and, and they were in the summertime, everybody's like hanging out on the street, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy like looks over at us and he goes, oh, I guess gentrification has come to Ridgewood. Yeah. And I was very offended by it. And it was the first time in my life that I realized like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, in some way I'm an interracial couple, you know, and. It just it made me feel very upset, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like. And I just what? saw this thing that somebody posted on Facebook that like a, a building is being renovated in some neighborhood there, an old mm-hmm. industrial building, and somebody um, put a big banner on it, like a tag, but it was a, an actual banner, and it said, mm-hmm. "Coming soon, more gentrification." Oh, and somebody posted that like, "Ha ha, yeah, this bullshit," and I'm like. I don't know if it's bullshit at this point in my life. I mean, the the I mean, it sucks that people get displaced mm-hmm. when property values go up and people want sure. suddenly value a neighborhood in a way that they didn't. Right. But that wouldn't happen if we didn't. It's not because of the people moving in there. It's because of the system that exists that raises the rent for everyone, right? Not just the you know somebody builds a nice building and it's so they have right. a nice place to live, or somebody renovates their building. Suddenly, the people who have the shitty places have to pay more to have the shitty places. Like, right. like you know, my somebody renovates a house on on a block, and all the three houses down there have been in the in the basement, per, personal property tax wise. Right now, that there's more value on the block, so all of those places go up, and then that guy's got to raise the rent. That's not because of white people moving in. That's because of our tax law. You know, and somebody's got to change that, or they should. I mean, it's kind of like rent control or rent right. stabilization if they. If they just said, hey, there's a period that this tax ain't going to go up on this exactly. property, but yeah. you also can't sell it for, you know, for this period of time. You know, right. you can't you can't make money off the fact that the neighborhood is appreciating in value. You also don't have to pay taxes so you can keep shit low. But I mean, then again, what if the person wants to sell the fucking joint? Because now it's got some value. He invested in a building. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, as a as a as a person who cares more and more about trying to build some kind of a you know material holding for myself at right. middle age, I find these attitudes of people of our peer group who are are younger than us, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, more and more like just silly. Like, why shouldn't people be able to improve or, or do whatever in a neighborhood? It's like, I, I mean, how does yeah? What do you think I about? mean. It, 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 <laughs> Lately, this has been um, an ongoing argument, especially with the talk of the stadium coming down here and all that right. stuff. Like, you know, I kind of tend to stay out of it because <laughs> my view is like I'm all for progress. Right. I'm just like, you know, we live in a city. We're a capital city and we've been backwards you know, for right. so long. And it's just really nice to see what you, things. Just not, not to question you like I don't understand no. that word, but... I've heard that backwards thrown around. So what do you what do you specifically mean when you say backwards? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I feel like, for instance, Churchill is finally getting. No, I mean, like, I, I love this neighborhood so much because it's very communal. Um, 
there's a lot of different types of people who live here. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily the safest place sometimes, but I'll, you know, I mean, that's fine. I don't have, I mean, I think in any city you're going to have crime no matter what. Right. Um, but I, I do like the progress that's happening here. I love that I can walk to a restaurant yeah. or a bar or whatever, you know, and, and still have the historical aspect of the neighborhood. Um, I see nothing wrong with that. And I think it's funny. When hey, people, you need money to come into the fucking neighborhood. Otherwise do. it's all going to fall down. It's going to be blighted. And, and it's gonna be, I agree. I mean, I would you know? rather see progress than see a bunch of empty shops. Right. I, I hate seeing empty storefronts. Um, it just, it makes me sad. It's yeah. just like, what is that? Like, I don't want to look at this, Yeah, you know, like put something up there, do something, make it, you know, whatever. I love that now when I drive around the city or walk around the city, I see street art everywhere. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Like I love it, you know, and, but the city in general is backwards. You, you would say, <laughs> I just has, think that the, or has been. Yeah, it just seems like a really, uh, I don't know, because you and I kind of grew up in Richmond and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a time when going down to uh, Gray Street was an experience. You know what I mean? And there were lots of music venues and places for things to happen. And that's all like... There's not much of that going on, you know, with VCU growing as big as it is and kind of making it its own place and whatnot. Um, I just have a sense that, like, Richmond's just kind of backwards in the fact that we don't have a lot. Like, there's stuff to do here, but it's it's very segregated, I feel. Yeah, and the kind of segregated it is, it's not, like, racial to me, you know. It's, it's not racial. It's... It's just like, it, and you know what? It's diffused. It's not even just desegregated. It's like diluted. Where do people go to con- like hang out in a con? Like, where can you just show up because there are going to be people hanging around there and yeah. walk around? Is there anywhere like that? No. I don't think so. Because for some reason, Shaco feel- Bottom isn't that. There's no. nothing, absolutely nothing going on there until the weekend. And because and I and live then a, when it, it and then it's too much and then it's too much it's, or there's a certain type of of element that comes right. with that and mm-hmm. so even though the club the big club is shut down I was down there like last night I went to the gym because I mm-hmm. go to Richmond Balance like right there on right 18th right and, and they're just people hanging out in the in the doorways mm-hmm. with forty ounces and beers and and bags and smoking yeah. cigarettes and they're just hanging out down yeah. there yeah they're not going inside anywhere but just one night of the week or two nights of the week. People are just hanging out on the street down there. Right. And then you got to kind of wonder, like, what is that doing for the business down there? Nothing. Like, they're not making any money. And then what happens is you've got a bunch of checkpoints and you've got cops everywhere. And it's just like on the weekends, I try to stay in Churchill because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to be stopped by cops. I don't want to have to deal with all the mess that goes on down there, you know. And I just even though there are places down there that I actually like, like. I love going to Rosie's. I love like um, going to Lulu's every once in a while, seeing a band play or whatever. Yeah. But I don't want to deal with the hassle of the people that go down there, you know? Me neither, and I don't understand it. I'm actually going to go see my homegirl's city council meeting on month- tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's her name? Dolores Kil- 
Killian or something. I don't know. I just saw don't it for the first time. But it, it's tomorrow night, and this podcast is going to be on way after that. But I want to go there and like find out what the hell is going to ask. I really don't understand why Shaco Bottom, I mean, in advance of this uh, stupid ballpark, why it sucks so bad down there. There's, I mean, one of the theories I'm starting to work on, and what I think is backwards, is that, okay, the reason there's a city here mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. is that there was a, there was convenient shit like there was a river there was you were growing shit you were shipping tobacco out of here right people set up their businesses here because it was a hub and there was a lot going on here and there was a lot of commerce going on and they didn't come here because there was a large structure right that they all wanted to hang around they came here because (laughs) this situation was good for business yeah you know all the different individual little businesses that were going on in frontier times and like colonial times, 1700s, 1800s, a guy could come down here and open a shop and there were other people around to buy a shit and he could buy other people's shit and a community of shop owners, a right. economy grew up because people wanted to be there and want to do business there. Right. And the backwards thing to me now is they keep destroying those things mm-hmm. so that they could build another some kind of attraction that they think is going to bring more of that stuff. Right. And the thing is, is that the people that are trying to attract are never coming back to the city. Their view of downtown Richmond is, is worse than those of you and me who know, okay, I don't want to go to Shaco bottom. It's kind of a hassle. Right. They're like, it's, um, urban blight. I'm going to get a Molotov cocktail thrown in my car. I'm going to get shot. Yeah. I'm going to get beat up. They have, they are perfectly happy. These particular people that will like a stadium are perfectly happy out way out in Chesterfield and in Midlothian and Short Pump and Mechanicsville. They don't have any desire to come to the city for any fucking reason whatsoever. But the people who do want to be here are constantly getting fucked over by the city. It's so weird That's what's backwards to me. I mean, yeah, and I I totally get that, you know, but it's like, oh, man, it's... It's like, do I want to see an empty parking lot? Right. Or do I want to see something that's going to be? It's not either or. And you know what? We do need parking down there. So why don't they build a parking garage (laughs) on that spot? That would actually be awesome. A fucking seven story parking garage. Because (laughs) to add to the other hundred parking garages. Make it nice looking. There aren't any parking garages down there. You know, I just, I wish, like, perhaps, uh, some money could go into like uh, improving public transportation and the roads and the fucked up. Like, I think it's really great. I love that there's so many cab companies now. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. Morgan works for one of them. Yeah. I'm like, this is great. Yeah. I can, I don't have to drive anywhere, you know, but you got to call them. Well, yeah, you got to call them. For but them. You can't just go <laughs> you out can't on the hail them down like you do in the city. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if you go to any other, like if you go to Charlottesville or if you go to Asheville, you know, those types of cities, you know, there's always like a plaza of right. some sort, which is really great. I, I actually like that. I like being able to walk around. But I think like, you got to let people make their own plaza. I, like yeah. they've got to let, you know, Gray Street existed because a bunch of people, business owners, whatever, right. that just became this draw and people went there. You yeah. cannot artificially invent those things. I mean, you can out in Shore Pump and like out there, whatever, but not in the city. You can't. The people who want to live in the city want to create their own shit. They don't want some fucking big landscaped, you know, 
architecturally designed bullshit. Right. They they they're here for the eclecticism. They're here for the hodgepodge, the weird patched together right. thing. That's what I the character. Right. So just just get out of the fucking way. That's all the city has to do to let things succeed is stop fucking with people. That's the thing. It's like there's so many rules and this and that. Right. People are paying and most their of taxes those rules, and it's like, come on, man. <laughs> those rules are holdovers from when there was shit going on downtown. Right. They've, they, have not, they have just served as a deterrent since the 80s. During the 80s, they needed to be there because people there were too many people down there doing whatever they wanted to. And right. they had to say, okay, you can't park. Here, you can't do this, you can't do that, or shit wouldn't even function. Yeah. But they kept all of the rules after the people kind of left, and now it's just like a big pain in the ass to go there because you're just getting fucked with by uh, meter maids and whatever. The city. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can't, I mean, why isn't, uh, this is the thing I want to ask her, what's up with Main Street, that market down there? Why is the farmer's market not a farmer's market? Why is it just a bunch of fucking sheds I agree. sitting there? Like, why isn't, because that's her district. I don't know, but the, the thing that has occurred to me since I've been driving around is all of the projects, like Creighton Court, Gilpin Court, Mosby Court, they're all Richmond Relocation and Housing Authority mm-hmm. dwellings, mm-hmm. right? Who was relocated? I think the people who were living in the path of 95 and past the Downtown Expressway and the Coliseum. Right. So when they decided to build these fucking things, they tore all of these neighborhoods and communities up to build them. And then they put all of those people in these pre, you know, these housing communities, which fucked the city way worse to have. It's a fucked up system. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what happened. I still haven't researched this right. yet, but I don't know, this is I get worked up. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's what I want to say is I want to go down to this meeting and say, hey, I got an idea. Leave everybody the fuck alone. Yeah. Let businesses happen. Like, stop displacing people. You know why the bottom is the way it is? Is those all of those folks that like to hang out on the, on the sidewalk and cruise down there used to get to do that on Broad Street and uh, DMV Drive. DMV Drive. Right? And they stopped <laughs> that, put up all this no parking shit. So they wanted to hang out somewhere, so they yeah. went to the area where they could hang out. And, and that's where it is. You should have left them the fuck alone and let them just do that shit over there. You know? Wasn't bothering anybody. <laughs> Like DMV drives nothing, there. right? You yeah. go to show off your system, yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong. With, <laughs> why was that a problem? Yeah, it's hood. It's it's, it's a, a hoodlum element. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a bad behavior, deviant behavior. But I, I, you know, I, I think it's like I, I think you know, prosperity mm-hmm. is going to come to this area, whether we want it to or not and it's not because what the city is doing or anything it's just going to be people who want to live in cities you know who have some money are going to are going to come i agree i mean i think that's what's happening here yeah it's like oh well we've got a new this we've got a new that wow this is great i've probably said that about six times on this (laughs) podcast too is this your own personal fight (laughs) i don't you know it's not like a fight as much as it's just a uh this nagging uh, certainty I have mm-hmm. about it because I can see that like things are happening. There is a inertia going on that I never have seen in this neighborhood. I, my parents bought a house here in 1972, right? And we were renting up here in '69, and it used to be uh, up until like the 2004 or five. 
somebody wanted to open a business, they were just sitting there waiting and waiting through permits and all this shit. And, and some of them lost all the money they had right. to start the business before they ever opened the doors. Mm-hmm. That happened in a market that tried to open where Anthony's on the Hill is now. It happened to that guy uh, that was in the ro- the spot where the Roosevelt is before it was the Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. I mean, he eventually got it opened and, and he was an idiot and he was trying to cook with microwaves and stuff. But <laughs> I mean, that guy, it was years that guy was trying to get. And now things just, you just see things popping up, popping up, you know. I think that's just the way of things, you know. I, I don't think that you can really. They must be getting out of the way some, I guess. There has to be. I, I don't know. I mean, and then you have issues like what happened at Buzzies, you know. Right. It's like, I don't understand that. Like, it makes no sense to me. So I don't know. I mean, I, I I tend to agree with you. I think the more money you have, of course. I mean, there's also if well, you think about that too. I mean, most a lot of these businesses are being started by Kickstarter um, donations, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's just like we didn't have that before, right? Right. So then there's that sense because a bank's community not going to give that, you any money right. for that, right? And then you have that sense of community that's happening now, where it's just like. I mean, I've as long as I've lived in Richmond, like I honestly, and this is my experience. I'm not, I'm not talking about everyone else, but this mm-hmm. is my experience. Like, I've never felt like any place I lived where I could walk out of my house and like know at least four or five of my neighbors, right. or like walk down the street and be like, oh my god i can have a nice meal or mm-hmm. go to you know go someplace like proper pie like oh my god i cannot believe this is right here when i was a kid there was nothing but quick There's, check yeah that was exactly where captain buzz is there was, was one here. convenience store there was fucking nothing yeah. else not even a grocery store right no restaurant not a pizza joint not right not a coffee shop nothing but you know the the thing that's going on with Buzzies is that's the bourgeois version of gentrification yeah. fear. Exactly. Is that first okay? First, the p- adventurous people come in and they take it to a certain level where it's nice and residential, right. and they get to be enough residents that businesses want to come in, and the business the residents don't want all these businesses coming in because they don't want to attract people from outside of the neighborhood exactly. to come shop there. They, or hang out there. I mean, this this neighborhood got rezoned, to, you know, before this, like back in the day as residential, so you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And those people, property owners in the city have a lot of say because that's the majority of the tax base. Right. You know, so if they say, I don't want something, then city council listens, you know, um, because people who are just running a bar or a restaurant aren't, you know, generating as much income into the city coffers. As somebody who owns, uh, you know, a house right. up here, but I mean, that's the thing: is that you make the neighborhood nice enough that people want to live here, and then people want to do business here, and that's how it goes. So the gentrifiers <laughs> exactly need to accept, you know, they need to accept that that they're attracting people to the neighborhood too, you know. Yeah. And so uh, you've started the thing up again. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, or you re- haven't. It's <laughs> let's see. There's a lot of pieces to all of this. So uh, we the first um, the first issue of Annie Mag will be um, it's just going to feature pe- people in Richmond. Mm-hmm. So all the interviews and stuff have been done for that. Uh, and I've been building the site and like designing and like putting all the photos together and editing and all that stuff. So uh, it'll be relaunching April 15th. Because we were planning on doing April 1st, but um, 
it's just there's so much to do and I'm only one person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and this time, uh, this go around, it's actually I actually have photographers and I have um, a stylist and like people I can work with. So it's really nice to be able to collaborate with other people and it not all fall on me mm-hmm. where I can concentrate more on the writing. Who's and, the stylist? Um, uh, the stylist, her name is Carly Childer. She owns um, a Blackbird Salon in mm. Cary, uh, not in Carytown, in the fan. Um, she's amazing. She's done a lot of stuff for the local magazines here and stuff. So um, it's nice to have her on board. And who are the rest of the people you have involved by now? I've got two photographers, two staff photographers. One's David Brown, who uh, actually works at Velocity Motorcycles. Mm. And he does photography on the side. And so I, you know, I was like, do you want an opportunity to work with me and perhaps um, do some shoots? And he's like, yeah, I'm all on board. And then I also have another photographer, um, McAllister Ryback, who I used to work with, who she's also a great photographer. But I felt like it was good to have different perspectives as Mm -hmm. far as photography is concerned. And I also, the thing with my magazine is that I'm not trying to compete with RVA or style or anything like that because even though I'm based in Richmond, um, my focus is on more of a vast area it's like you know i want to interview illustrators in spain and i want to you know find the new hot artist in montana you you know i mean do you see also like introducing people who are here to the outside world yeah i mean that's the great thing it's like i live in a town where i know so many talented individuals Mm -hmm. and everybody is trying to do their thing you know um the problem i had ran in i had run in before was uh Richmond can be hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody's kind of in their own group. It could be a little clicky. People cannot be, I mean, people can be very apathetic. Mm -hmm. They're just like, when I first moved back here, it was a lot of acclimation to that because, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I run a webzine and people were like, eh, you know, that's Uh, cool, whatever, mm. you know, and it's kind of the same attitude as, uh, excuse me. Just last night, actually, this happened to me. I went to um, an improv show over at Coalition Theater. Mm -hmm. Coalition's doing some amazing work, um, which we are featuring them, so you'll be able to read all about what they do. Um, I'm a little familiar. Yeah, they're really great. So they do these improv classes and whatnot, and people can do it as a hobby. You know, I have a friend who decided to, to get an improv, and... She's been doing it for almost over a year, you know, and um, so I decided to go check it out last night and whatnot. And then we came back into the hill um, and went over to Patrick Henry. And so somebody had asked me, they said, oh, what'd you do tonight? I said, oh, we went to this really great improv show over at Coalition Theater. And they had stated that they knew the person who was involved, you know, and whatnot. And I said, yeah, it was really great. He's like, I don't know, man. I just, I really don't want to go to something like that. Because if it's bad, it's probably going to be really bad. You don't want to see your friends do really bad stuff. (laughs) And it was just really negative. And I was like, this is the problem. This is what's happened as we've grown up. Is that everybody's like, oh, I'm not going to go see that band because I don't know who's in it. Or well, you just brought up something, though, that like I hadn't thought of before is if somebody chances on some kind of entertainment and they they hate it or they don't like it, it's right. like it's not somebody they know. 
and they're never going to have to tell them that they think it sucks or like ever have to deal with it. Right. And maybe on some level, people are afraid of going to see their local shit because they're going to be uh, disappointed. Gonna, in well, no, they're going to have to be confronted <laughs> with the person who sucks. Like sure. wanting to. That's kind of extreme. But I feel, but but I feel like that's the way it's always been. You know, I mean, God, I can't tell you how many shows I've gone to where like friends of mine were just starting out or whatever. Right. But do you tell them that they suck? Well, I don't necessarily say, "Hey, you suck," but you know, good criticism is never a bad thing. You know, it's just kind of like, how do you expect people to progress and grow if you're not honest with them? And if you're friends with them, then you should be honest with right. them. You know, oh well, you know, you can do it in a positive light, of course. But that's an interesting. I mean, like when I started out, the one band that I played at in town, we did suck, and we like rushed out to play in front of people too soon. I was right. not a good enough guitar player. I wasn't trying to be a good enough guitar player, but I also didn't, wasn't, you know, we weren't trying to, I mean, I was in that process. Like right. I wanted to learn in the band. I was, right. that was my approach to it. But some of the other guys in the band wanted to be like, we're somebody already. Right. And when you're trying to draw that kind of attention to yourself and people that raises expectations of what you're going to sure. be doing. So we got a pretty good show with some relatively, you know, big-ish bands at right. Fireballs, and we fucking blew. And, like, we fucking never... A lot of those people never came to see us again. You know, they were just like, they suck. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And, I mean, we weren't ever everybody's cup of tea, but there are plenty of bands around here that never stop sucking, that have so many friends that there's always people at that show. Well, and you know? here here you go. <laughs> Here's another thing. It's that when you think about when we were growing up, you went to a show because all your friends were there. Right, you right. know, it I was like the band. awesome. I don't know who this band is, but right. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to Rockets and I'm going to stand out there with everybody else on the street or whatever. And it didn't matter if the show sucked or not. You were there to show your support for the community rather than... Well, you were there to get laid and get drunk. Well, yeah, that too. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> and then you might find out about a cool band. You might find that, yeah. But, I mean, I discovered a lot of bands that way. You know, it was just like, this was the thing to do. But I feel now it's just kind of like people are... Maybe the problem they don't is, want is to make not, it worth the effort. You they're know? not it's enough like, eligible bachelors and bachelorettes. Is that what's going on? So people are like, what's the point of just going? I is might that, just have to just watch a band. Right. Like, and I want to... Well, everybody's like, married now. Right. And has children it's not and enough that single. sort. Yeah. They're like, oh, why do I want to go there? I don't have a reason right. to. <laughs> it's not enough of a pickup scene. That's it. Because <laughs> I was just at a fucking um, Empire yesterday. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they have all those flyers up on the walls in there from the old rock shows right. and shit that used to be there. And I was telling the people I was with that, you know, this downstairs used to be two rooms. There was a stage in there. There was a pool table. There was a DJ booth. Right. And then upstairs, of course, it was the other venue. And you could get there from inside. And on Tuesday nights, they had dance night. And fucking yes. everybody came to that. It didn't matter what was who was DJing no. or was playing. Like, it was just... Because it was about the hang. And, and getting getting laid. And I mean, getting everybody. laid. <laughs> I mean, and you did like that was it was easy, you know, like it was a very like non self-conscious, non uptight, not um, non insecure kind of scene. People just showed up and had fun. That's the other thing that's changed is people have gotten real, take themselves really seriously. They've gotten really uptight about being cool. And it's just not enough of just like, let's all hang out and let it all hang out and like have fun. It's much more like, let's all compare beard lengths and... (laughs) 
I am so, and I'm sorry if I'm going to offend anyone, but I am so sick of that look. I mean, honestly, come on. Yeah, well, uh, look, I don't, I don't have a problem with, I know I'm a 40-year-old man, <laughs> and what the kids are doing is going to look to me like some stupid bullshit, but the difference between the time period that we came up in in this town and this shit is that nobody was following a specific thing. Like, I showed up at the punk rock shows or whatever shows I went to in duck boots and my, like, kind of West End prep school shit mixed with some other shit. And there were people there that were wearing just, you know, this and there were other people wearing that. Everybody had their own thing, like, their own style. And now these motherfuckers all, like, have to have a beard. They have to have this. It's same. just really strange. And you're to not, me. and you're not going to get laid if you don't have that beard or what? what is, yeah, what is it? I think it's weird to me. Like I actually, I know girls who were like, they had the specific, you know, the specific Richmond man list, and mm-hmm. I'm like, are you a are man? You or are you an accessory? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like I'm all about style. Don't right. get me wrong. I lived in New York fashion. for five years, but everybody there had their own style. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like everybody was dressed the same way, or everybody right. was really into this. You know, it's like here, I feel like everyone's kind of gotten on this bandwagon, and I'm just like, all right, already, and those same people, like. I feel like it started happening with the whole Lincoln movie. Uh-huh. That all happened. And all of a sudden, everybody's all into the Civil War. Right. And and it just became very trendy. And it was just like these mustaches and these beards and, you know, whatever. And, and then I just think it just went overboard. I was just like, why does everyone look exactly the same and somebody would describe someone i'm like well what do they look like oh you know he's got a beard and some tattoos and uh and i was like you just described every man i know now yeah like it's strange so like (laughs) this is an without being like shit talkers and like oh i am a shit talker we all know that that's legit and i like to talk (laughs) shit too and that's one of the focuses of this show but we have a i do think that we have an actual political uh cultural phenomenon that needs to be explored here that there is a difference between style and fashion absolutely fashion and and i believe i i started to call it fascism like fashion is a type of commercial fascism get them all to wear a uniform it's totalitarian everybody has to wear the same thing everybody has to look same to have access to um the same Mm -hmm. resources whatever the fuck they are right and the people who buy into it are the most insecure people. Absolutely. Like they don't they like don't think that they have um, anything going for them. Right. They don't have any confidence. They don't believe they're good enough. So they're like, I'm I'm just gonna go with this thing that's getting and, and it's a voluntary form of fascism. It's like you're actually accepting the uniform. You're accepting the leadership, you're accepting the control. Mm-hmm. But that stuff comes out of style. Like somebody had the style to say, I'm going to grow me an Edwardian era beard and wax a mustache and like have short hair with that. Because I just saw that like uh, in some movie and Prince Philip looked cool. So I think I'm going to rock that look and then mix it with like black T-shirt and tattoos. And that somebody was had a great idea and that was a cool style. You know, but see, then I think it's it's more of a fad because it's not going to last forever until somebody else decides to do already. something really cool, and then you know that's see of why thing. can't you pick your own but thing? But I think, but see, this is this goes back to where it's like, 
you know, when we were growing up, we really fought for individuality. Right. Even though we That's because actually we were... wore our own uniforms as well. Right. But there was an individualism that came out of that and right. an independence that came we, out of we, that. Those uniforms, well, some of those uniforms somewhat existed because of pe- of body image stuff. Sure. Like nerdy, chubby boys like to wear black t-shirts because they're <laughs> slimming, you know? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> And, you know, that's the thing is that most of these this is a different kind of insecurity. Right. And, it, and it's one that's like there's a body image insecurity that comes out and it's an adolescent thing and whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's also this like the prep school and the jock thing, which used to be super dominant in Richmond. And it's still there, but it's not dominating anything. It's just like over there being its own thing. But, well, I think it's it's definitely become um a thing that distinguishes the neighborhoods right you know what i mean right <laughs> it's like right. oh that guy's wearing khaki pants definitely lives in the west end right like right. you know it's it's, it's just, except for the skater that wears khaki pants right or yeah the, but but i know what you're saying you know <laughs> but but like you know when for instance when i came I started out in the city and went to public school, and then my parents decided that I would be way better off at Marymount than Armstrong, and they were probably right mm-hmm. that I would have gotten. I need some bad kids. Right, Armstrong. School. Oh, yeah, true, but <laughs> it's a different kind of bad. Like Armstrong probably would have been Lord of the Flies kind of bad yeah. for me because yeah. Henderson at times was bad enough, right? And that wasn't really that bad, you know. But it, I mean, I got into shit there, and I got into shit in the neighborhood. Um, and I wasn't that tough of a kid. I got fucked with a lot. So my um, parents sent me to Marymount, and suddenly I'm thrust into the the prep school West End kind of a thing. And that was very... I went along with it for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I come to school, and my hair is parted in the middle, and all the girls are, like, going around bothering me. They're like, why are your hair parted in the middle? You need to put it on the side. <laughs> you know, what are you wearing? Like, because women dictate everything. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, of course, like if they're actually telling you to your face what they want, then you comply, you know. But, uh, you know, I went along with that stuff, but yeah. I became very like not just the girls, but everybody. Like, why aren't where's the you need this particular logo on your shirt? You need to cuff your pants this way. You need to wear these shoes. And I went right. along with it in that. And not just that, but like, where are you going to college? Like, what does your dad do for a living? What are you driving? All of this stuff got crazy oppressive. Mm-hmm. And I found that I was putting all my creative energy into that Mm-hmm. For a while there, and then I didn't get into a good school. I got into VCU, and <laughs> vintage VCU. Like yes, vintage old, VCU, old which v- would take anyone VCU. that lived in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went there, and suddenly I was like, I could just be. I was like accepted and welcomed yeah. for just being just being who you were. Yeah, and yeah. there were so many, and like that was really like exciting and liberating. Yeah. thing that there was just this crazy eclectic scene around that school. There were all of these different interesting people, and they were all the weirdo from like their town in Danville or their town in uh, Doswell or right. whatever. And they all came to Richmond, and they and nobody was making was trying to even out all the weirdos into one kind of weirdo, which is what happens in New York is like you take all of the people who are that guy and they go to the East Village or they go to Brooklyn and they all become the same guy. Yeah. But in Richmond, there was this, you know, freedom to stay. You're, you're sort of, you're weird. I you know, do. And still f- I do miss that. Yeah. I do miss that when you had mentioned that you go to VCU, that you automatically got looped into that, like, 
you know, oh, so you're going to so art school. You're school. a weirdo. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, and and that's the way it was. And you were right. You know, the, the atmosphere there was a lot different. You know, it was, I loved being a part of that. And I loved being inspired by all those different types of people and like having that type of environment, you know, and now it's like I go down there and it's just like, oh, you're so just like, like any you know, other college. We need to explain to these young people, and I don't want to call them hipsters because that's getting to be a, a term that has no meaning. We're finally but, like getting to that tipping point. But you guys, like, you guys stop before it's too late. Stop conforming to this before yeah. it's too late. Stop conforming to the beards, conforming to the tattoos. Find something analogous and come up with your own version of it. Like pick some other era that isn't being mined for fashion right mm-hmm. now and mine it, you know? I pick some other much, culture that's not being mined. Right. You know? I wonder how much that's being influenced by the fact that most of these people are now being brought up on the internet and social media and this sort of thing. Yeah. And so it's kind of like push down there like where we just had magazines right you know it was like oh that's a neat look i think i'll try that you know now we have all these different websites all catering pretty much the same kind of culture mm-hmm. and so i feel like that has more of an influence i, there's, I think now. there's more of a pressure to identify with and pick yeah. a thing uh, otherwise you're nobody you have to like you. You have to join some kind of a gang. You're not good enough on your own. <laughs> right. And that and that gang is is some kind of a cultural demographic yeah. stereotype, whatever. Um. And and I'm sitting here thinking about what we're talking and trying to. I mean, because I do remember feeling intensely insecure about who I was as a freshman at VCU really? and, and and wanting, yeah. I mean, and wanting to be cool, like to be not not so much like um. I wanted to be one of those people that knew what was up, like, mm-hmm. you know, like was it, you know, understood the formula of the taste making, like was a, you know, and there was this incredible, intense, self-inflicted pressure to be knowing about the right shit and be into the, and I don't mm-hmm. actually, that wasn't, at VCU, it was an ex- exploration of discovery. It was like, ooh, Jesus Lizard, wow, that's an awesome band. I really like them. I want to go to that right. show whenever I can. When I moved to New York, it became, I need to know about this or I'm going to be l- missing something when I'm talking to these people at this thing. They're going to ask me about this band. If I don't know, they're going to stop talking to me and well, I'm going to be invisible and nobody's going to like me. You just <laughs> brought an int- uh, you brought up an interesting point because living in New York, you are pushed to have that type of knowledge. Because everyone's competing with everyone else and everybody is kind of, you know, um, there were several times I would I would see people that had moved to New York who kind of fell into that, who were who were exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Were like, I have to educate myself and I need to know what's going on now, 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 now. And so um, without enjoying any of it. Exactly. But see, that's the thing about New York. It's like if you stop for a second for pop culture, right? You stop for a second, you miss what's going on. Right. And so um, there is that constant pressure that every night you should be doing something because in New York, there's no lack of doing anything. Right. There's a show, there's a reading, there's burlesque, there's a live performance uh, involving theater or right. 
comedy or, you know, whatever. There's always constantly something to do. And if you're not in it, you're going to miss it out. It breeds FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? No. Fear of missing out. Oh, fear of missing out. <laughs> FOMO, bad FOMO. Another, another a- an acronym I can add to my... <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Um, but you know what's really the most liberating? Is to suddenly decide that you're not going to identify with some temporary pop culture thing. And you're going to set yourself in the slipstream of the of the bigger stuff that's always been cool or always been enjoyable. And like suddenly all of that stuff, all that teeming energy mm-hmm. of like trying to keep up with all of that stuff. It seems it actually seems very ch- tail chasing and like mm-hmm. obsessive and boring. I think that um, I think that this is the way of all generations. You this know, is, this they, is they the all, age we are. Yeah. It's just kind of like now that we're at the age that we are, we're looking back it's kind of like that whole thing about your grandparents going, well, when we were kids, we right. did, you know, and, and of course now we're at that age where we're just like, when we were young, this is what we did. Of course, I do see, a, I mean, of course there's a huge difference between the generations that are coming up now and then our generation because I feel like we were kind of the last generation to kind of put our foot forward and to fight for things and to... um be reckless and like dangerous in some way. Like I feel like the generations that are coming up now are less, um, they're less exposed to that. I think they're more scared. Yeah. It's, it's like there's an insecurity, but then there's a lack of individualism and there's a lack of, of, uh, um, I was talking to Scott Hudgens about this. Like we were talking about when we were going to shows, like you never knew what was going to happen at a show. There could be a fight. Somebody could stab someone, you know, there were, there was always something, but that made it exciting. And that made it one of those things where you're just like, I'm sneaking off downtown to go to this punk rock show and I don't know what's going to happen and it's going to be exhilarating. Whereas now it's just like, everything's kind of like put in a box and like all neat and pretty and prepared. And it's just like, none of these kids have any street smarts whatsoever. People are afraid and, and I shouldn't say people and they have been kept doing that shit a lot lately. I get the sense that there's a lot more f- fear and a, and a lot more insecurity driving the choices that folks are making of mm-hmm. like what, how they're expressing themselves, what they're doing, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not a spirit of, of freedom, individuality and right. adventure. And that's understandable in the post nine 11 world, as they say, the, the paradigm or whatever the fuck we call that cliche, yeah. you know, it, I think there is a lot more fear of getting it wrong, fear of not fitting in, fear right. of not belonging. I mean, there's just a lot of, I mean, fear and insecurity, same thing. Sure. You know, and a fear and like, not like there's, there's not enough jobs. So you really need to tailor yourself to be the specific kind of person that can get this job. And, and what's really ironic about that is like capitalism and America, I mean, you know, there's capitalism and there's our, our society of freedom. Right. right. And they're really two different things, you right. know, and and part of that freedom bleeds into capitalism and it says it's laissez-faire, like the government's supposed to stay out of it and let people do their thing. But they have to regulate certain things. But what's happening now is that people still want what capitalism offers so bad, but they don't feel like there's enough opportunity to get at it mm-hmm. unless they really market themselves a specific way. So they're really insecure and scared about not being marketable. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> being the wrong brand. 
you know? Well, it's like all about, we, it's all about branding. <laughs> right. And so people are really afraid of branding themselves incorrectly yeah. and not being marketable and not being able to get that stuff they want, right. you know? And it's not just getting laid, but it's like getting a job, a place to live. Sure. Like there's a fear and we're not even there yet that the economy is so bad. Unemployment is so bad. I'm just not going to be able to find a job. I'm not going to be able to survive unless I really hit all these marks. Like I like, you know, do it by the numbers, like paint myself by the numbers. Like this right. in this zone, that's a one, that's a beard, right? <laughs> in this zone, that's a two, that's a tattoo, whatever. But you right. know, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I, I mean, it's, I'm not trying to judge it. I'm trying to under like this. I'm, I'm trying to say this. I have this sense and maybe this sense is wrong, but like the freedom uh, to really be yourself comes with a luxury of, you don't you can be supported in that freedom because there are lots of either your parents are paying for it or their jobs to be had mm. no matter what you're doing mm-hmm. and i think the sense that young folk have now is that those jobs aren't there unless they really are a certain person you know yeah and i also think you know i mean things are happening a lot faster for those generations because you know from the time that they're born they're given so much information and so you know I was doing web design and production that ended up being because I didn't upgrade my skills like I should have. Um, you know, now you, yeah, you become obsolete. Right. And so now you have 17 year olds who can code websites right. like what, you know, all right, fine. Um, so there's that. I mean, you have CEOs of companies that are in their late twenties. And so, I look back at when I was going to college and that sort of thing, and and it was just a different time. It was just kind of like you went to school, you decided what you were going to be, you went to school for four years, you got your degree, done. I have a job, done. You right. know, and now it's like that doesn't work anymore. Now it's like, huh? Things okay. are moving too fast. Like they move very fast, right. and now a college degree is nothing. Now right. you have to have a PhD. Now right. you have to, you well, and know, you have to keep learning. You have because to because the the landscape keeps changing. Exactly. Like what are the economy is what like right. because say you could get a manufacturing job and you could be in manufacturing the rest of your life. Right. There isn't any manufacturing. Now anymore. I will say so. the wonderful thing about what's going on now is that you can start up your own business now. And you can do it at any age. And if you're passionate enough to do it, then why not? And here's the thing, too. Instead of going for the big, huge money that is in the mainstream where everybody's going, serve all of these other people who are being left behind by that, that right. like that aren't trying to keep up with that, right. that don't care, that are, say, our age and, like, you know... What is the 40-year-old's guide to what the fuck is going on in pop culture and fashion right now? And, and, to, and to put it out there, like, no, we don't know either. <laughs> and let's, let's figure it out together, you know, or right. whatever. And to have that more disarming and humble kind of approach right. to what you're putting out there instead of like, this is the coolest shit. You must know about this. You've got to be here. But then you, know? you get into the opposite of that, where like I feel like there's a lot of people our age that are just like, I don't have a television at home. I read lots of books. I um, There's something you can sell those motherfuckers. I don't have a cell phone. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's like, and then they take that stance where they're just like, I'm not going to be a part of this. Yeah, well, fuck them. Whatever economy that they're a part of, right. fuck them. 
or, or they're not a part of any economy. And but, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there's anything. No, wrong no. With that, but I mean, but, uh, we're we're just talking about like I think briefly in this little window about like what I'm suggesting is like create a market for yourself. There's right. all kinds of unserved people out there, right? And there are all kinds of spots where you could actually set up a lemonade stand and do some different thing. You know, there's. People will buy it. They will come. Not er, people don't. Not everybody wants to be doing the thing that's in the mainstream. You don't have to be in there competing for whatever the hell that is. Right. There's all kinds of archaic shit that people are interested in that you can do. You know, such as well, maybe you'll start selling regular landlines again. I don't know, like tell, <laughs> whatever some fucking reason imagine? people will want those. But I mean, you know, there is that's the thing that I realized. I I've had to drive all around this town. And then in this widening gyre outside going to like Tappahannock and Ruther's Glen and um, Miltonville and, mm-hmm. you know, way east, way north, way to, to in between places. Right. And there's just tons of people in all of these places. And, and those people have some kind of money and there is some kind of economy to serve those people. Like there's lots of other ways to create other services and goods that you could peddle. Sure. You know, um, and, and this is where it comes back to the irony I was talking about with capitalism is that people, though free in this society, are so afraid of making the wrong choice uh, and not being able to participate in the economy, which really allows for the freedom that we're talking about. Uh, they're not actually exploring the breadth and depth of what. You, how free you actually can be in this country if you just say, I don't have to be in what's in vogue right now. I can have my own style. Like, I don't have to be following fashion. I can just go blaze some other fucking trail right. out here. Right. Like, you know, what's wrong with that? Like, it, it's just as, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be struggling in a way the same way that if you're in here with the sharks competing with everybody for the same thing. Right. It's going to be hard, but you're going to be just like, I can do whatever I want to out here. I can be whoever I want. Like I can really like forget. Imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine actually being free in America (laughs) instead of voluntarily choosing to lockstep. Well, I feel like now it's just a new, it's just a whole, it's the same thing. It's the same rat race. It's just a different, but we choose the rat race is the crazy thing. But it's just in a different way. You know, it's just like, instead of, walking around with our star tech phones and our briefcases, you know, now right. we're having messenger bags and, right. <laughs> you know, I just think, I mean, I've like, I'm not always been like this, but more, but I've, but I've had a sense and an instinct that like, I am authorized to pick and choose of any cultural pop culture, whatever. I mean, they used to call me duck rock. Cause I, like I said, I would show up with a black t-shirt and duck boots you know, I didn't have combat boots. I had duck boots. Why not? Actually, I'm the most punk rock person here because everybody's wearing and combat boots. And you got laid a lot, didn't you? I did all right. <laughs> yeah. So it actually doesn't, you know, there's really no formula other than confidence, you know. <laughs> confidence <laughs> is a big, big factor in all mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and it cannot be gained by uh more insecurity, which is more looking over your shoulder and more checking in with what everybody yeah. else is doing. I also feel yes. like there's an opposite thing with that, too, because it's like I run into people that are either really insecure, like you say, and um, kind of fall into like the uniform of things. And then I run into people that uh, are the complete opposite where they're 
overly confident. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm super cool. I know about this. And I dress like this. And blah, blah, blah. You know? Mm -hmm. And those people don't help anybody. Yeah, yeah. They're only in it for themselves. Right. And I run into a lot of people like this. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm starting to see them all as just animals at the zoo, and That's I, how and, and I I'm mean, one of them too. I'm just another animal at the zoo. There's a bunch of animals at the right. zoo. There's not a better animal. There's just there's a giraffe, and there's a gorilla, and there's a lion, and there's a tiger, <laughs> and we can all peacefully coexist in our little, you know. I don't, you know, I don't let it bother me as much as I did when I was younger. Because when you're younger, I mean, you're full of piss and vinegar. You don't, you know, you're, you want to fight with people and, and you have your own concept of how things should be and, and that sort of thing. Um, now I look at it and it just makes me sad because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to promote people that I deem or I feel, you know, are worth it. Mm-hmm. I don't care how I met them. I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care who they know. All, right. All I care about is the fact that, man, this person really does this well. Mm-hmm. And I want people to know about it. Yeah. That's it. I'm not doing it to... I mean, it's benefiting me in the, se- in the sense that I'm promoting my thing, you know? But I'm also... I'm trying to spread that wealth, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to be like, hey, man, here, let me lend you a hand. Mm-hmm. Whereas those other people are just like, oh, you're doing that? Yeah, that's cool. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And then they kind mm-hmm. of do their own thing and they do it alone and they're all about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to associate with people like that. I mean, that's the way I handle it. I'm just like, sooner or later, you're going to come knocking on the door and you're going to want something. And I'm not going to be there to provide it mm-hmm. for you. And I think you should anyway. It's a, I mean, that's the way I see it. Yeah. It's like, you're being a dick. <laughs> like... Sooner or later, you're going to need something. When, uh, and and this, you know what? That's the reality. But see, that's the thing that happens. It's like when other people become cool and it's a big high school thing all over right. again. Where but it's at some like, point you run out of, uh, you know, you run out of support, you know, and yeah. like you paint. And, and I've had experience with painting myself into that corner where like I was trying, you know, too hard to do whatever the fuck I felt like to the point that I had insulted or offended or pushed away anybody that could be, you know, my on my side or, or whose side I could be on. Right. And really monkeys, that's what we are. The way we got together, the way we've done what we've done so far is together as a group. And I just talked about this, somebody else recently had, and we need to be part of this group, but we don't need to be part of the group as a lemming. We need to bring, be part of the group as what can, what am I bringing to the right. to the monkey tribe that's like <laughs> cool and and useful that's that's me but ultimately what is my goal must be the betterment of the monkey tribe <laughs> not just my own glory like being the be- right. being the you know I'm the cool monkey right. over here hanging on this limb check me out well i feel like you that's know? that's important in progress in anything mm-hmm. you know it's just like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and we'll make it beneficial for everyone. Right. You know, rather than all the attitude. That's, and I, that's what I see behind what you're doing, right? That's well, that's what I'm trying to do. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, and and that's the reason, like, I've gotten a lot of flack from people that are just like, well, how can you, 
feature this, 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 and this. I mean, you should be consistent with one thing. And I'm like, why should I be consistent with one thing? Why should I define what I want this to be? Why can't it be all of these things? Mm -hmm. And if I can make that happen, then so be it, you know? And, and it's why that, um, and it's also why I feature music and fashion and, and all these things that I have interest in, um, and it's why I try to do as many charitable things as I can, because I feel like that's giving back in some way, mm-hmm. whether it's monetary or otherwise. Um, so I feel like I'm developing my own community yeah, and I'm helping the one that I am in now. Yeah. Well, you're, so. you're, you're, you're fertilizing the thing from which you draw your nourishment, right? you know, and that's really what everybody ultimately that is the most successful thing i'm here to say now i mean you know i don't know why i would even qualify this because i'm just talking out of my ass and this is my show (laughs) but the big switch over for me is seeing that like my success will come if i'm thinking about the success of a bigger picture and whatever that picture is it doesn't have to be the entire country it could just be the business that you work for. Like what I keep trying to think about when I'm trying to achieve my, the goals that are expected of me with my job now right. is like, I'm not thinking about this. Like this is, um, inspection or this is me being judged by the people I work for. I'm going to ignore that. Right. I'm going to, they created these standards for what purpose? Okay. The purpose is to grow the business. And what is the business? The business right now is 50 people that work in a building. They need to make a living. And like, if I can support those 50 people, making a living if i can do my part to help them to ensure their jobs maybe get more hours if i'm thinking like that that's going to drive better creativity and better innovation on Mm -hmm. my part to do my job well instead of if i'm thinking about i got to get my bonus just a little bit bigger so i can get that thing for me so i can get that thing for myself it'll still like it's more like it's kind of and it's my favorite thing one of my friends, Tammy, who was a, a waiter at Carey Street, she said it, and I'll repeat it, and I'll repeat it until everybody's heard it. If you worry about the money, you're never going to make any money. You know, you got to be thinking about something else. It's you know? funny <laughs> because that's the conclusion I came to. It was like for all my career, you know, it's I always took jobs because I had to take them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, after I lost this last job, I was like all right, this is it. Like, I'm being slapped in the face numerous times and I'm not waking up. And now I've finally woken up where I'm like, oh, wait, I'm actually good at this. Why am I not doing this? Because I'm not making money? Whatever. All that stuff comes, if you follow what you love to do, then all that stuff comes with it. You know, it's like, I honestly believe that. And that's what I'm hoping happens, you know. And if not, then I'm helping other people. And that is a success in itself. And let's, and yeah, let's boil it down to like, what are we most afraid of really when it comes down to it is not like what's really going to threaten us? No shelter and no food. right? Right. And all the rest of that stuff, everything else is, is bonus shit like adoration or, you know, wealth or whatever. So if working hard, you're not getting wherever you still can be confident that you will be cared for by the culture that you live in because they're taking care of the fuck ups. (laughs) So like, you're at least going to be take, you know, you're at least going to be somewhat supported by the basic foundation and you can rest easy and just work hard on the thing you want to do. You may not be able to 
pay to have your entire backyard landscaped or, right. you know, to renovate your house. It's but all about will, perspective. <laughs> it is. And it's an important perspective to recognize most of the stuff that we feel uh, is fear or insecurity, right? right? Another form of fear. Right. And we're monkeys. All right. Seriously, we are Stone Age monkeys and our brains generate fear for a good reason. Something is going to kill you, you know, or take something mm-hmm. you need to survive and you better get busy and stop it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or run away or whatever. But our simple little mechanisms come up with that for that person doesn't like me. <laughs> yeah. That dumb asshole across the room right. thinks I'm a jerk and you will feel the same way right. that if there's a fucking lion right there. <laughs> right. So you've got to put it in perspective and say that feeling is inappropriate right. <laughs> right now. There's no reason for me to be afraid of the judgment of another monkey in the room. Right. Unless that monkey has a gun and a badge and then I should, you know. Well, I think that also, I mean, I, I think there's a big fear of failure, you know. But um, what is that? Let's boil that down. I mean, what are you yeah, there's of? a, yeah, it's fear. What are you afraid of if you fail? What's going to happen? Your name's not going to be in lights. The, the story of your life is right. not going to be not going to have the right denouement you know it's mm-hmm. not going to have the right arc to it mm-hmm. our favorite stories now are about like nebraska right right those are quote unquote losers right but actually the heroic thing is still happening mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that journey that little that that arc is available to you even if you never get recognized <laughs> like by the tastemakers right. you know if you so is that failure what's failure like never Never getting in the some in onto some short list somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would. I I think in terms of when I think of failure, I think of of not accomplishing what I need to accomplish mm-hmm. or that I want to accomplish, right. rather than not m- not uh, obtaining some sort of status or monetary, you know, benefit. Um, so for me, I mean, failure is definitely a lack of accomplishment. So right. that is something I fear every day. Well, I've found an out for that. Oh, I'd like to hear it. Well, yeah, let me hear it. <laughs> I have proven to myself many times that I don't know what's good for me. <laughs> so I may identify a goal and have some idea of sure. something that I really want. Right. But I have to be open to the idea, and I am open to the idea that maybe not getting that is opening up something that is right for me. Right. Like what happened with this job for you? Like, I I don't succeed at this very specific thing where I don't belong. Right. And that's what I'm being told here. Not that I'm a failure, but that I'm vanilla ice cream and they need (laughs) chocolate here, you know? And, (laughs) and that's just it. Like, I'm just not the thing that fits in this spot, you know? And I've, and, and so being, that's an opportunity to figure out like what is the you know and let the universe tell you it's kind of funny because that's the way it works yeah you know i mean i I definitely run into a lot of people who are working jobs that they just absolutely hate Mm -hmm. and the only reason that they stay in those jobs is because they're getting paid well or it's taking care of whatever they need to take care of um getting cancer (laughs) what (laughs) they're getting cancer you don't have the headphones on so you can't hear oh um so yeah, I just uh I don't know. I just stopped putting that 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 pressure upon myself where I'm like 
I have to have that right job and, you know, all the stuff. And, and I just decided to throw my hands up in the air and finally surrender to the thing that keeps knocking on my door. But let's look at it in a different term because surrender, and, and that can be a very positive term. Yeah, but what we I mean, usually think of I mean. when we, right, we're thinking like stick your hands up. Right, right, right. The, the jig is up. You know, you, you are no longer under your own steam. I'm calling the shot. I have the gun. Right, right, surrender. Right. But what we're really saying is like there's a way that things are going and I can keep battling against the way that they're going right. and I can burn up all this energy and waste all this energy, be frustrated mm-hmm. and unfulfilled trying to do something that ain't happening. Or I can go, man, the energy is pushing really hard in this direction. Why don't I open up my sails and fucking go with it? That's the Tao, you know, like right. roll with it, like learn to see where it's going and go with it, you know. Go with the flow. Like, and that's not to give up. It's we all say, become hippies. <laughs> yes. Because they were onto something. You just, you know, it's not mooching off of everybody and smelling bad. Oh, God. You know, but those are, uh, I've had a hippie explain to me that that's a bliss ninny. That's not the same thing. There's, you know, there's hippies and they're bliss ninnies. And bliss ninnies are the ones that expect everything to be free mm. and want to, don't, you know, want to have to work or mm-hmm. they just want to be fucked up and, and a mooch. But, I mean, these are the this shit resonates for a reason, all right. The, there is, I I now look at like where's the path opening up? Mm-hmm. That's actually a parting of the clouds and the fucking beam of sunlight coming down. Like, right. do you see the light? You are bat butting your head against something that's not you, and that's not failure. That's like that's how you learn what's you. You know, right? You have to taste. You have to try. You have to test. You have to like attempt. And then you find, oh, in the midst of doing this, I've discovered I have a skill. Right. And let's start, you know, rocking that skill. Of course, it happened to me way late. (laughs) No such thing as late. You're still alive, aren't you? I know. (laughs) It's just funny how... We're late. Okay, so we're late bloomers. We are. I am definitely a late bloomer. (laughs) I'm not not kidding about that. Seriously. (laughs) But I I wish I could... I mean, this is something that I guess maybe, you know, you old people have to know and can't tell young people, you know, but I do kind of, I'd love to have known that. And and I think there were people my age that, you know, that were my peers back then that knew that they just do what they're good at and do what they like doing. And they'll just do that. I didn't know what that was. Right. I just knew, what do you like me to do? Cause I want to do that. Yeah. You know, I want to, it was too much seeking approval for, right. you know, and that's just, it's looking in the mirror. It's too much like <laughs> narcissism or something. But I mean, you can do whatever you want. You really can. You're free to do whatever you want as long as you give yourself permission and you say, the yeah. only audience that matters is me. You know, like I'm the only one that has to approve of this. That's true. I'm Curtis Payne and I approve of this message. <laughs> great life lessons with (laughs) yes we're doing these on sunday when i'm feeling very relaxed and and, uh reflective plus i went to the i'm uh, always feeling reflective yeah i'm all full of uh joe's in fucking brunch buffet oh is that where you went for brunch yeah we had a birthday thing there and like i mean it's instant coma feedback here eat that shit i haven't gone to brunch in a while i like brunch it's the best (laughs) it is the best and in that bourgeois leisure the leisure you know what i hate though 
Mm. There's no Saturday brunch here. Where? In this neighborhood? It's very hard to find a Saturday brunch. I mean, there are places that do it. What do you call them brunch? Like the guy in The Simpsons? It's You'll love it. It's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch. And it comes with a slice of melon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> you know? Well, you can get breakfast lots of places yeah, late Yeah, I know. In the day. But like, no one does Saturday brunch here. In this neighborhood or in Richmond? Well, I think it's very hard to find in Richmond. I could be wrong. I'll tell you where to, you go to the mill on MacArthur. They, yeah, that they, they do it. Yeah. yeah. They've got something that's not quite breakfast, not quite lunch. And comes with this I want eggs past eggs. 10 a.m. And you can have potato it's pancakes. It's what I want. <laughs> Even though the potato pancakes aren't on the menu, you can always have them at Where? the mill. At, at the, the mill? mill? Mm-hmm. Really? I love them. Well, you know, I like to go to the diner type places. Like, you can always go to River City Diner right down the bottom of this True. hill. And they have good eggs, True. actually. They have good breakfast shit. Yeah. Um, some of it's, you know bullshit but i mean in general you can you can go there anytime and have that you can go to karen's city diner you can go to the village you know and i haven't been those are actually owned by the they're owned by the same person uh family the village and karen's really yep josh and bert bruger i did not know run the two yeah what and uh yeah i mean we have so many new restaurants you know you just gotta like expand the palette you know like there, there's, there aren't a lot of like the Millies kind of brunches, on a, you know, around. But I don't understand, and don't get me wrong, I love Millies. I think they're great, but I do not understand, like anybody who knows Millies and wants to eat there won't go there on a brunch Sunday because it's right. crazy. Nobody goes there. There are too many people. There's it's so the, many people waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also <laughs> one of those places too where it's just like, oh, everybody knows that Melly's has a good brunch. And so you get... Here's the best kept secret. It's actually tourists. Not, not that hard to get a table. <laughs> I went down there uh, on a Sunday afternoon right. and I waited about 10 minutes. I actually ended up sitting at the bar and I had corned beef hash made with corned beef brisket not like that shit from a can nice. but real corned beef and well it is millie's taste. you it would was, expect it was good <laughs> but uh, i i also like i love eating good quality stuff like that but i'm perfectly happy i will eat there all of these crazy like just ghetto mart delis with hot food in them yeah i'll eat that shit too i want to know where i can get a good breakfast sandwich in my neighborhood like hardy's is really good <laughs> The fast food. I got to drive there. Mm. Oh, in this neighborhood. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, David, WPA has breakfast sandwiches. Do they? Yeah. They even have a gluten-free like egg McMuffin. They do not have breakfast sandwiches. They do. do. They They have, yeah. Mm -hmm. They have a gluten-free egg McMuffin thing and uh, Sub Rosa has. I'm not one of those gluten-free people. Yeah, I'm just saying that's how much shit they have. They actually have a variety. Okay. So you can do that. They have savory stuff like with ham and cheese or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Sub Rosa has breakfast. uh, I know Sub Rosa. I go to Sub Rosa quite frequently. So it might not be technically like a breakfast sandwich. But that's what I want. I want a greasy, I'm hungover, and I don't want to eat at McDonald's. And I want a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. There's, there's, hmm. With real hash browns, not home fries, hash browns. Hmm. You'll have to yeah. think about that. I don't mm-hmm. know if you can get that. Where in the hell can there. I get that? I don't think you can right now, but somebody's got to uh, open up a, a regular Greasy Spoon Diner. That's what I'm talking here. about. On and I hill. want it to yeah. be open 24 7. Hmm. 
I'm not afraid. That might be a tough one. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I hey, don't know if we're prepared for those uh, types of things. You can come over. I'll make you. I just made my first biscuits from scratch recently. It's really? very easy. Look at you. I even chipped in the little butter and like forked it in there and all that shit and rolled it out by hand. And oh, this is, that's funny that you say that because I just had a conversation with somebody and we were talking about... Um, you know, the whole reason I'm going to have a food section in the magazine and I love interviewing chefs and that sort of thing for one who doesn't love good food. But um, I feel like the intimacy of food doesn't really get talked about very much, you know, and uh, I was talking to this person and they were talking about uh, how they have done this thing on the weekends where like, you know, everybody comes together and eats together. Uh-huh. And I remember in college, like yeah. we used to do potlucks all the time. Right. Right. We know? used to do this Italian night thing. Yeah. I got to get going here pretty soon. Oh, okay. It's time. <laughs> this is not a very graceful point to do it, but like, let's do that soon. Yeah. Let's have one of those dinners. You come, you and Eric come over here or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'll come over and, and have uh, dinner. And I'll make, good. I'll make you biscuits. Maybe I should just start For selling. dinner. I want biscuits Why not? for dinner. Why not? I'll make, yeah. We can have biscuits and gravy and like, uh, <laughs> fuck yeah. The whole rustic thing. I ham steaks. It. Make it happen. I have ham steaks and biscuits and grits and uh, other pork. It needs to be at least three pork products. Hey, absolutely. Right? There must be bacon. Well, thanks. It was really nice talking to you. And God, <laughs> these too. microphones sound so good. <laughs> so crisp. It's crisp. Sibilance. <laughs> All right. Thank you. No problem. All right. There you have it. That's Miss Joanne Bro. Nice little convo with Joe Bro. Joe Bro. I'm going to call her that from now on. I look forward to checking out Anti, Anti-Mag. And uh, you will find a link to it on my page eventually. But uh, there isn't anything to link to yet. I think she says maybe there's... I don't know. Last time I talked to her, she said there wasn't. This would be such an easy thing to pause and then find out. But I'll be goddamned if I'm going to do that. So, anyway. I'm, hey, by the way, I'm sorry about the intro... And how loud the fucking harp was and all that shit. But I liked what I said, and there's nothing I can do about it once it's recorded. So I hope you know you you made it through there and were able to hear, despite the fact that fucking Alice Coltrane was sawing away at the harp strings so loud, and Pharaoh uh, Sanders was blasting you with his uh, crazy snake charmer saxophone. That is what that music is, by the way. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before, but that is. The opening uh, thing is called uh, Journey in Sachinadanda, which was uh, Alice Coltrane's Indian guru. His name, I think. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Sachinadanda is something else. I should know this, but you can look it up. It's on uh, Impulse. It's a great record. And this part that I like to talk over is called Stop Over Bombay. So it all goes together with the Indian thing, you know, like dot not feather in the end. You know what I mean? Like it's very cool. It's pretentious, right? It's cool. It's a good mixture of blues and um, jazz and Indian music. So there, yeah, there's that. I get that going for me. Um, 
so I'm working on doing some things, but I, I don't know if you guys realize this. Uh, the, the old episodes aren't on iTunes anymore, but there are, you know, 40 some of these, and you just got to scroll back through the archives to listen to them. And you can download them. So if you can't get it from iTunes, you can just go back there and download it onto your desktop, and then you can put it on your phone or whatever. But you don't have to listen to it streaming from the page. It is possible to just save it. So um, you can do that. But I'm working on some way to sort of make them all available in a easy to digest kind of package and uh while you're at it you can digest my package and uh i'm out